0: Welcome to the X millennial Man Podcast, the podcast for CSYNC.com. I am your host, R.D. Kulik, and with me here is the most gloriously made horror film ever known to mankind, the greatest other host on the other side of the Mississippi, Ty Kulik. How are you today, Ty?
1: Hi, everybody. Is that a, are you like knocking me for my looks or something? <laughs> I don't know. What's, what are you supposed there's, to say? There's that
0: there's a, one of the movies I'm going to talk about is by the big sexy lady who's a horror villain. So maybe I think you look like a big sexy lady.
1: Listen, I don't know. You said a horror movie, so I don't. Know. maybe that's maybe I'm like a psychological yep. horror movie.
0: So in honor of spooky season, I decided we've done, we did the Paul Lynn Halloween special last week. So I want to talk about something worth seeing this week. But <laughs> I don't uh, think I've recovered from the Paul <laughs> Lynn
1: Halloween special yet.
0: But the problem is I'm going to talk about seven different films, Ty, that have gone through various levels of development who are, they're vaporware. Vaporware is, is the term for, a piece of pop culture we've heard about for so long that it's just never come about. I know one of this isn't one of the movies we're gonna talk about, but supposedly the original script for the ninth Star Wars movie, and it's leaked out a bunch of places, called Duel of the Fates, and it was going to be way different and way darker <laughs> than mm. what we originally got, but it gets that Star Wars Duel of the Fates, that's vaporware. It's it's something that's never gonna get made. And I'm gonna talk about a group of movies here that never got made, probably never will be made in, until I speak of the very last one, because the person who wants to make it, this has been their dream project since they were like seven. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we, they will definitely do it. But also, you and I, neither of us are big horror movie fans. Nope.
1: Yeah, I, mean, not, not, I mean, I like the Duke.
0: Yeah. I, uh, and I, was, I
1: was talking to our dad yesterday. I had coffee with him. He said, oh, your mother and I watched the exorcist and poltergeist the other day i'm like what are you guys doing (laughs) yeah (laughs) what's going on at the house now that all your kids are grown and moved out but yeah that i can't i've seen exorcist and poltergeist but i can't watch those again i i like psychological stuff
0: and i have a feeling of the seven movies i'm going to talk about we would have probably seen all of these out of curiosity i'm talking about huge directors alfred hitchcock steven spielberg i mean ridley scott these are people who have made their impact on films and these are just the movies that for a variety of reasons never got done and they make for some really interesting stories and i'm curious as i talk about these if these are a movie you would see or not
1: so yeah, i'm interested. i have no knowledge of what you're gonna tell well me
0: today. let me start with the first one now back in 2002 don coscarelli was really well known for the uh, the phantasm movies the flying death ball movies and the creepy tall butler looking dude if you know you know but Mm. there's he took this novella based upon this idea that elvis presley and jfk were alive in modern times but they're in a nursing home and an ancient evil mummy came and took over someone and started to kill everybody in the nursing home so old elvis presley and old jfk had to fight him now if you still don't know what the hell i'm talking about i need you to know that Old JFK is played by Ossie Davis, who's African-American. Yep. <laughs> and Old Elvis is played by Bruce Campbell in an incredible role. I mean, yeah. he's incredible in this movie. The movie's awesome. It's a, it's a great movie. Awesome. Great movie. It barely made any money in the theaters, but it is definitely like a cult classic today. And the movie's
1: mean, Bubba Hotel for people yes, who don't know. Yes, thank you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Bubba Hotep, at the end of the movie, spoiler alert for people, Elvis is laying there dying, and then the stars align that say, like, thank you, Elvis, And the last line of the movie is, thank you, thank you very much. And uh-huh. <laughs> it goes to credits, and at the very end of the credits, it says, coming soon, Bubba Nosferatu, Curse of the She-Vampires. Mm-hmm. Now, it's unlike... Buckaroo Banzai that we talked about on First Watch, Rewatch, they wanted to make a sequel. They just never got it. This was a joke. This was a complete joke. They were never Uh going to make it. But, like I said, this movie became quite the cult hit. And Mm -hmm. as the years have gone on, people have been like, where's Bubba Nosferatu? (laughs) And so Don Corscarelli started to put something together. And this is when somebody else comes on the scene, and that's Paul Giamatti. Now. Paul Giamatti, he wanted to play Colonel Tom Parker. And he and Coscarelli came up with this idea that this would be a prequel. This would take place when Elvis was younger. It was going to hmm. be about a movie he was filming somewhere, I think in Memphis or something. And a vampire, a group of vampire ladies were coming after him and he had to fight them off. So it was going to be Paul Giamatti as Tom Parker, Bruce Campbell as Elvis fighting a bunch of lady vampires in the 1960s in Memphis.
1: What, was Bruce Campbell going to be young Elvis? So Bruce
0: Campbell actually wasn't really interested in doing this movie. And so they got uh, Ron Perlman to sign oh, on to okay.
1: it. <laughs> so, also, was Paul Giamatti going to talk in that horrific Colonel, Park, T- Colonel Tom Parker accent that it, Tom Hanks used?
0: No idea. As of 2013, so 10 years ago, Giamatti said a script has been written and it looks really, really good. Hmm. Now, Nothing is, is kind of one of those movies that just sat for a while, sat for a while. 2017, a novella was, was brought out, was released called Bubba and the Cosmic Bloodsuckers. It's kind okay. of the same story. And then in um, 2018, IDW published, or IDW, the comic book publisher, they did a five-issue limited series that adapted the novella called Bubba Hotep and the Cosmic Bloodsuckers. Huh. Okay. Unfortunately, uh, it not, nothing ever happened. And Paul Giamatti still talks about this movie to this day, but it's like, it just never made it. So would have you seen this film,
1: Todd? I would have 100% <laughs> seen this because I loved Bubba Hotep. So Bubba Hotep came into my knowledge when you and I lived together and you told me about it and I was getting into Bruce Campbell stuff, but I was more into the fact of, oh, I like Ossie Davis. Oh, he's going to play JFK. So I watched it with that. Mindset and love the entire movie. So, if you give me a prequel of Elvis, (laughs) see, like they tried to do this, I feel like, with uh, Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter, but that movie took itself too seriously. Either Ron Perlman or Bruce Campbell would have had a blast doing something like this. I feel like Paul Giamatti, when he's in the right mood, he can make like goofy, silly stuff. And I think he would have done a great job as Colonel Tom Parker in this. I would have, I would have rushed to the movie theater to see this movie 100 no doubt in my mind about it
0: this is of the movies we're going to talk about this is the one i'm actually surprised was never made because again you had the cult kind of oh, following yeah. with it you had giamatti wasn't being paid 30 million dollars to be in this movie he wanted yeah. to make this movie ron perlman would talk about this movie baba hotep anybody that's seen it loves it even to the point when it came out in the movie theater roger ebert gave it three out of four stars i mean People genuinely really really like the movie, and if you have not seen
1: it, oh, go please. watch it. It's so good, and like so unassumingly good too. Like it's a, I mean, you mentioned Bruce Campbell as Elvis is great. I see Davis is yes. amazing. <laughs> like I fully believed he was JFK.
0: Yes, it's. I don't want to obviously gave away the ending. Now I know uh, Don Coscarelli and Paul Giamatti. They made the movie John dies at the end. That, uh, seen that that came out they were working together. But obviously, this is the movie they wanted to make was Bubba Nosferatu.
1: It just that name is so rad. Too. Oh, I love yeah, that. easily. And
0: it just never got around. They did. Uh, gosh, what was it? I think it was 2019 or 2020. There was a miniseries from IDW called Army of Darkness slash Bubba Hotep, where oh. old Elvis teams up with Ash.
1: Oh, nice. So, <laughs> so I, haven't, awesome. <laughs> I haven't
0: read any of those, but obviously yeah. the property is still around. They're still trying to do things with it.
1: That's so cool. I love that. I love the name Bubba Hotep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't even know ge- what it means. It's
0: genius. genius. <laughs> well, Bubba, obviously, you know, Southern idiot. Hotep was uh, uh, an ancient Egyptian something. That's like oh, the mummy. Okay. With these horror films and talk about this would have been a franchise. It would have been the second and another one. We just recently on First Watch Rewatch talked about the greatest Friday the 13th movie ever, Jason X. Again, the movie was not good, dude. (laughs) Still the greatest Friday the 13th movie ever. Uh, It's
1: the only one I've seen, so that's all. I have nothing to compare it to.
0: And I could have easily talked here about Friday the 13th. Part 13 was a movie that kind of fell into development hell. But I'm going to talk about something a little bit bigger. After Jason X, they made Freddy vs. Jason, mm-hmm. where the two horror icons, Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees, they fight each other. And at the end, Jason wins. And it was such a big deal, everybody was looking at it, that there's another comic series that came out called Freddy vs. Jason vs. Ash.
1: Oh, man. <laughs> See, that I would watch. Again, I love Bruce Campbell and I love the whole idea of the character ash that he plays
0: yeah so they were i mean it was it was very well regarded well sam raimi thought let's make a movie out of this and mm-hmm. it was going Sam to,
1: Raimi attached to it too yeah
0: i mean he was going to produce it i believe but they were like yeah let's let's go ahead and uh let's look at this we're gonna create it uh freddie jason was a pretty big success and so you bring this and bring in Ash and just have a collection of superstar horror icons fighting each other. It'd be a little, I mean, Friday the 13th wasn't never meant to be really funny. The nightmare on Elm street's a little bit more humorous. And then there's army of darkness and evil dead movies.
1: Well, and you could have Ash and Freddie going back and forth with their stuff. And Jason just standing there in the background, being all menacing, but like, I I would love to see, Freddie doing his typical Freddy talk that he does, go talking with Ash and how the repartee, if you will, would be fantastic in a movie like that.
0: Well, according to the the whole big final confrontation, because I don't think this got to the point where a script was actually written, but they had mapped out a bunch of stuff. And in the final confrontation, Freddie was going to resurrect all of Jason's victims from all Friday the 13th movies by using the Necronomicon. So we would have gotten that creepy teacher from the last one? Yep, yep. <laughs> It would be like the Deadite Army, but all the Friday the 13th victims coming. But then Ash was going to get all his S-Smart co-workers (laughs) to come with him to get the Necronomicon, open the portal, banishing Freddy to the Deadite world. And then Jason gets frozen under Crystal Lake with the help of a Necronomicon. So it's going to be this big, goofy, little stupid battle at the end.
1: Would have been cool, though, man. I, again, this is one I'll answer for you now. I would have seen I, anything with Ash, <laughs> Bruce Campbell playing Ash, I will see. I even watched a show that they had on Stars or whatever, mm-hmm. Ash versus Evil Dead. So anything with Bruce Campbell playing Ash his character from Evil Dead Ash, I will watch no matter what.
0: Well, it's interesting you bring that up because as they were going through and talking about this, first, Robert Englund, who played Freddy Krueger, uh-huh. he and he did this in the interview, he's kind of right. He goes, look, Jason beat me in the last movie, and then he's going to beat me in this movie. I mean, what is this? Yeah, you he know, wants so, to win. So. Right, right. And, and then Bruce Campbell didn't like the direction of the movie, didn't like a lot of the stuff with it. So it all kind of fell apart. Because you're not going to make a movie that says Ash in it and not have Bruce Campbell. You're just Yeah, not.
1: absolutely. No, and, it's, it, it would be wrong, especially if they cast somebody else in it. Yeah. It would be so weird.
0: So a lot of those people, they went on, and some of the stories, supposedly from this, is what made up some of the stories in Ash vs. Evil Dead. So okay. it did end up kind of bleeding over there. As it turns out, the Freddy versus Jason was the last Friday the 13th movie with Jason until they did the reboot years later. And again, we talk about this on First Watch Rewatch, but the Friday the 13th movies are owned by so many different people that the reason you're not getting new ones is because there's so much legal problems with who owns yeah. what, who gets paid what. As for the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, they tried that gritty reboot. I'm going to talk about a kind of a, a semi-lost one here soon, which was like really serious.
1: My wife saw it and said that it was... Depressing, yeah, and it's like that's not what you want your Freddy movies to be.
0: And also the Robert Englund Freddy movies, people, it, Freddy started to become kind of a hero, and Robert Englund did a did a great job with the character. But he even said at one time, he's a child molester. Yep, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. this, you guys are rooting for a murdering child molester. Uh So the movies became problematic, is I guess what we should say.
1: And what's his face from uh, Bad News Bears played Freddy in the new reboot thing? What's that guy's name?
0: Yeah, he did, um, what's it, he did uh, Rorschach. He won
1: an Oscar. Well, yeah, I just can't.
0: He did Rorschach in The Watchmen.
1: Jackie Earl Haley. Okay, there. All right,
0: (laughs) right. after immediately coming to our brains time, me not editing out a bunch of us typing, (laughs) Jackie Earl Haley played (laughs) Freddy Krueger in the newer movies. But that's that's what I mean. we got it lost, like I said, it made Bruce Campbell still interested in playing Ash, and we got that TV show for a while. Yeah, but TV uh, show
1: was good. I mean, I think it lasted either two or three seasons. But that's a good TV show.
0: That seemed more like a fan kind of idea. But Freddy totally. versus Jason was too, and it got made. And a lot of Snakes on the Plane was kind of demanded by the fans. Deadpool. Yes, well, Deadpool that that was a very big fan. That Ryan yeah, Reynolds was I able. Mean, to... It
1: was made, It was made by a fan.
0: So let's talk about Ridley Scott and H.R. Giger.
1: Yeah, H.R. Giger, the uh, alien-making dude. Yeah. So it's hilarious on the podcast comedy, Bang Bang, Matt Gorley plays H.R. Giger. People <laughs> go search it out. It's, his impression of H.R. Giger is amazing.
0: H.R. Giger is an odd fellow. Uh Uh-huh. Is he still alive? (laughs) No, no, no. So famously, H.R. Giger was brought in by Alejandro Jodorowsky to help make some of the creature effects for his weird-ass Dune movie that Uh, never got made. I still want to see his Dune
1: movie. (laughs) Pink Floyd (laughs) played the music for it in his dreams. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yep.
0: Salvador Dali played the emperor of the universe. (laughs) I would
1: (laughs) would love that movie.
0: And a quick note about that story. So Salvador Dali demanded a million dollars a minute. And so Jodorowsky said, we'll pay him for like two minutes, but then we'll make this. And in his words, a really crappy looking android that looks like him that will play him the rest of the movie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Alejandro Jodorowsky is a genius.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, H.R. Giger ended up finding work when Ridley Scott was making a small little horror film called Alien.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: When Giger brought the Xenomorph design to Ridley Scott, Ridley Scott was blown away. He's like, absolutely. Absolutely. And then yeah, the people I think it was universal or whatever said this thing is disgusting. You can't do it. But they fought, they got it, and created one of the most iconic creatures, villains, yes. aliens, whatever you want to say.
1: The and, xenomorphs up there with King Kong, dude. Yes. Like I mean, when I think aliens, I think xenomorphs.
0: So Giger could could write. I mean, and he was he was an artist. He did uh, he so he had that was his living. This was his first big move in the movies. But again, really strange, really weird. You probably, he probably wasn't gonna get a lot of mainstream work. Ridley Scott went on and he did Blade Runner. And then he was becoming a kind of an in demand type of director. There was a script going around called uh, Dead Reckoning. And Dead Reckoning was about in the future, like some dystopian future. There's this underground train that's going through. And on this train, there's a humanoid who has been enhanced with uh, like extra intelligence and extra abilities. That basically they become a, a body whore type thing and start hunting people on this train. And okay. Ridley Scott looked at it and said, this is a great idea. I think we should really do this. And he called up Giger. So Giger brought, came in to create what this, this human AI thing or whatever was going to look like. But the thing he really did was the train itself. Now, it's, I have a book that I have this in. You've, a lot of people can look at a lot of different things. But the train looked almost like a skeleton. And really, uh, really gothic horror looking stuff like that. And it was, I mean, it was kind of a really iconic design. And people thought, oh, this is pretty cool. Problem with Dead Reckoning is Ridley Scott could never really figure out what he wanted. They ended up calling it The Train. Is what they ended up just naming the movie that. He couldn't okay. really figure out exactly what he wanted to do with it. And he wanted to get away from being what's called a genre director. He didn't want to do. He just did Alien, and then he did Blade Runner. He didn't want to be the sci-fi guy. But he
1: was so good at it.
0: Yeah, no. So (laughs) the next movie he signed on to was Thelma and Louise. And the train (laughs) kind of died out. But Giger's designs did not die out. Now, unfortunately, they all end up, and some of the concepts end up in a movie called Species, which was the I've never
1: seen it, but I know of it.
0: Yeah, not a great movie. But, a lot, but it's got a pretty cool alien creature design, which is heavily based off of Giger's design of this train. And okay. the script still sits out there. It's, it, I mean, people are like, oh, that's an interesting idea. But it just, like Scott said, it, it's, it's an alien on a train now, which yeah. would make sense today. But back then, he wanted to do something different. And I think he was Oscar nominated for Thelma and Louise. So sure he, he you know, did something, went on, created his career, has gone back now to doing this kind mm-hmm. of stuff i mean yeah. what prometheus has got a lot of like giger design types in it and yeah things like that boring
1: but, as hell but i so i would have totally seen this movie because i like stuff like that and i love i mean ridley scott directed yeah which i think is the greatest movie of all time so i th- he can do no wrong in my opinion but didn't the simpsons spoof this when fring's dad came back and kept killing people to take their body parts.
0: Oh, maybe. Yeah.
1: Because, I mean, go back and watch. I don't, it's not Jerry Lewis playing Frank's dad's voice, but it's like Jerry Lewis.
0: Hello, all. This is Future RD. Just to tell you, I looked it up. I could not find out if that Treehouse of Horrors was based off of this story that we're talking about right now. But Ty just said that Frank's dad sounds like Jerry Lewis, but it's not Jerry Lewis. It actually was. Jerry Lewis did the voice of Professor Frank's dad. So I wanted to put that in there before you guys were like, wait a second. All right. Let's get back to the conversation.
1: They have a treehouse of horror where his dad, he he, go, he goes into an arena of scientists and starts like ripping brains out, and he's got all buff arms from a bane and stuff like that. So I, I have to assume the Simpsons writers knew about this and spoofed it. But I, again, three for three so far, I would have mm-hmm. definitely seen this movie.
0: All right, so this one here is, I don't know, but it would have been... This would have been a very well-talked-about movie. Would be a movie that maybe would be midnight showing something that people would revisit every year the wachowski sisters when they Mm -hmm. first started in the business and this is when they were this is when they were both uh, larry and andy wachowski they are Mm -hmm. trans women now so i am going to continue to refer to them as the wachowski sisters yeah but they wrote a script as you should yes they wrote a script the first script they ever wrote is a movie called carnivore okay now they imagine this they're new in the business everything like that and they they knew what they could do they imagined this movie being a what they called a low budget corman style film the script for this movie which i have read this script okay the script for this movie is about this homeless guy who is a really good chef so he's trying to find his way so he goes to some unnamed city and because he's homeless he's just trying to find something to eat he goes to a soup kitchen where a lady named Granny has supposedly the best soup you've ever eaten. He meets another woman at the time who's kind of like a love interest, and he, and she's helping him out. She's part of some, again, nameless rich company, and she's going to help him out to become a good chef. And He's eating the soup, and he's like, this is the greatest soup ever. Well, you come to find out what Granny does is she has a group of people that hunt rich people and then oh. tears the skin from them and Ugh. cooks the soup with it
1: oh it's and like so, soil and green
0: yes and so <laughs> the whole film is basically this this main character learning all this stuff but realizing the soup's really good and the woman who's helping him out is one of the rich people and he starts to think "Ooh, i wonder if she would be good in soup
1: whoa <laughs> that so the wachowski sisters the first matrix is an incredible movie mm-hmm. i mean everybody knows that and it kind of their movies didn't. It's a lot like M. Night Shyamalan, where they yeah. they hit a home run with their first one. But their movies are always interesting. Like I watched parts of that Speed Racer they made years ago, and I thought that was I interesting at t- least.
0: I will tell you, I, that Speed Racer I think is a good movie. It's too long, yeah. but I yes. do think it's a good movie. Cloud Atlas, which I've read the book, yes, I have. I think is an amazing film.
1: But it yeah, is I've seen it. Complicated, like and you kind of have to. Be in the right headset, but I'd rather watch Cloud Atlas than watch um, Tree of Life. Oh yeah, not Lars von Trier, whoever directed Tree of Life, uh, Darren Aronofsky. Okay, but this movie again, this is it's going to sound weird, but this is stuff that interests me. Stuff like it's not shock and 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 awe, and like we're going to give you with a jump scare. The, jump scared. This this homeless man who's a chef who realizes what Granny's doing, and now he's working with this rich lady, thinking about what she would taste like. <laughs> Go back again. Go back and watch Always Sunny in Philadelphia where Charlie and Dee think they, they're cannibals because they think they ate human flesh, but they just have a worm. And then you make the, the Wachowski sisters write this movie and make they, they're making a serious version of that. Mm-hmm. I would 100% go watch this movie.
0: When they were first shopping it around, this uh, quote, and they tell this story that a studio exec said, this is a bad idea. I can't make this movie. I'm rich
1: oh <laughs> the only reason why they that studio exec wouldn't make it is because they're rich and they're, and they're gonna get <laughs> yes, their skins yes and then suit. the
0: the matrix after the matrix opened a lot of people started to look at the script again and trimark was they purchased it and they were in talks with george romero to direct it and it was supposed, perfect yeah it was supposed to come out in 2001 but it's a, a story came out around 2003 saying lionsgate had taken it and they were looking for somebody and it just Has never been there. Now, to the credit, the Wachowski sisters still talk about this movie. And like I said, you can go read the script. Yeah, I'd like to. I mean, when I was doing research on some of these movies never made, one of Spike Lee's earliest scripts was a Jackie Robinson biopic that Denzel Washington was supposed to be in. Oh, we got it with
1: Chadwick Boseman.
0: Yeah, they ended up (laughs) making Malcolm, Malcolm X instead. But... Spike Lee, a couple of years ago, released the script out into the public saying, You know, I love this script. I think it's great. I wanted to make it with Denzel. I'll make it with no one else. And Denzel's too old now. So here's the script. <laughs> but oh, that's cool. I think the Wachowskis have kind of done the same thing. Look, we love this. We know it's not going to get done. So yeah. enjoy it maybe, while it's out there.
1: Ah, maybe some company like, who do we do that podcast on? That, that movie company that. Oh, Canon? Yeah, maybe a company <laughs> like Canon. I mean, if Trey Parker and Matt Stone can get cannibal, the musical made, I'm sure the Wachowski sisters can get their movie carnivore made. So yeah.
0: Yeah. And if you go through and you look up like the movies, the Wachowski sisters have never gotten made. It is. I, I say what you will about their movies say, but man, there is Jupiter ascending is one of the most beautiful looking films. ever.
1: Made. <laughs> I mean, they have, they have a great eye for science fiction. They just, it's a lot like a uh, homeboy who made, um, he made Donnie Darko and then then made the movie that we've talked about on I can't think of the name. Oh, of right uh, now, so the Southland
0: Southland Tales.
1: Yeah, it's like that, but they they rein it in a little bit more, but yeah. they still have too many ideas that they're trying to put in their movie all at once.
0: Well, we'll we'll break here, and then when we get back, we're gonna talk about Alfred Hitchcock, Steven Spielberg, and Guillermo del Toro. Sounds good. Hello all, this is RD. I wanted to talk to you guys about another podcast that I do work on called High Heels in Politics. It's hosted by Marianne Christie, who I work with here in Southwest Ohio. And Marianne, she interviews a lot of influential people. In Ohio, she's interviewed a a lot of political people that are influential. But for those of you outside of the state, she's also interviewed people like Susie Chapstick Chaffee, a former Olympic skier who was the face of Chapstick for the 1970s and 1980s. It's really interesting to listen to that one because she talks about her struggles as a woman in the Olympics, but then how she used her celebrity and her attractiveness in order to get more rights for amateur athletes, which led us today to things like the NIL. Also, Susie was very instrumental in Title IX, which we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of. But it's not all just seriousness. Uh, Marianne has also interviewed the Naked Cowboy, the New York City icon that's been out there. Simon Lease, who a lot of you may know if you've ever seen The People vs. Larry Flint, he was the guy that arrested Larry Flint. He also arrested Jerry Springer when Jerry Springer was a member of the Cincinnati City Council here. So I encourage you guys go to Spotify, Google, Apple, go search High Heels in Politics, follow, subscribe the show. Marianne comes out with a new one every week, and it's an incredibly great conversation. And if you're interested, or know anybody that may be on high heels in politics, just go to the contact page and talk to us. So let's get back to the conversation. Okay, Ty, let's talk about uncomfortable sex and violence.
1: I don't want to talk about (laughs) that with my brother.
0: (laughs) Now Alfred Hitchcock has got a long list of movies he never got made. And a lot of them was Alfred Hitchcock is a big director. And so people like there's been a couple of Hamlet movies. There is a, a movie really? about the titanic a movie a nazi documentary they would call him up studios would call him up and say hey we have this script well there's one particular script that hitchcock himself wanted to make that never got done and it's a movie called kaleidoscope now okay. kaleidoscope this was later hitchcock it was the late 60s he was inspired there's a story of these two serial killers who were young handsome bodybuilders and they would lure young women to their death uh, to their deaths and, Hitchcock thought, "Let's make that movie, but let's make it from the serial killer's point of view." Whoa! So, this huh. movie would have been filled with a lot of sex, incredibly graphic violence of yeah. the serial, and the main huh. character was going to be a, a serial killer. And Whoa. he had uh, Hitchcock wrote the whole script. It was kind of there was three crescendos. He said three big scenes in there. The first was a murder by a waterfall. The second was a murder on an old warship. And the final murder would be in this oil refinery with all these brightly colored drums. So Hitchcock took, mm-hmm. not only did he write this script, he tracked every shot. There were over 450 camera shots in this. So he was Jeez. ready to make this. And yeah. he brought the script to Francois Truffaut. And <laughs> <laughs> so, I know that. <laughs> yeah, Truffaut said he liked the script, but the amount of sex and violence is pretty heavy. Hitchcock had gotten a lot of flack for Psycho, but a lot of the murder stuff there was not seen, whereas in Kaleidoscope, it was going to be seen. Also, he wanted to do it with like handheld camera, very kind of uh, more modern to what the 1960s filmmaking styles were. He went to Hitchcock, went to Universal, and he's like, we can make this movie. I can do it for less than a million dollars. I'm going to get a bunch of unknowns. Two of those unknowns were Robert Redford and Michael Caine that he'd been talking to. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he was going to change the name to Frenzy, but he liked Kaleidoscope because it was more late 1960s. He mm-hmm. shot some test footage for it and everything. And finally, Universal was like, no. And this movie, really? again, this is another script. I've not read this one, another script you can read. But it is supposedly, supposedly just visceral violence. Just, and this is, wow. again, the late 60s. The legend is is that when Universal told Hitchcock no, he actually cried.
1: Really? (laughs) Yeah. Man, like, so this is a thing that, you know, a big secret about me is I've never seen a Hitchcock movie. I've never seen Birds. I've never seen Psycho. Hitchcock, this might be the first one I wouldn't see because Hitchcock stuff like genuinely scares me. Yeah. And the whole outline of this movie and what you said right there kind of frightens me, especially that it's not from the point of view of the victim. Like that Mm -hmm. would make me feel it's almost like and I know this movie has its problems and I actually think it's, not as great as other people do, but it'd be like watching American Psycho. Yeah. With American Psycho, at least they show you how bad he is. And I wonder if Hitchcock, I'm sure Hitchcock would have done the same thing, but to see a movie from that point of view, just this movie sounds eerie and it like makes my my stomach a little upset hearing about it, especially how visceral you're saying it is in the 60s. Like I couldn't imagine people, I couldn't imagine our parents going to see this as teenagers and being Mm -hmm. like, oh, what a great movie we just watched.
0: Yeah. Somebody described it as like a snuff film.
1: Ugh, he said it was – yeah.
0: so that that's one I don't know if I would have seen either. It's, it's yeah. more of a historical curiosity though sure. because Hitchcock really wanted to make this Well, movie. the fact
1: that he – the rumors that he cried, mm-hmm. like I can't – I can't picture Alfred Hitchcock ever crying. No, so.
0: no. Now, the last two I'm going to talk about here, the first one is probably the most famous what-if movie ever, and I would argue it's been made in a couple of other different movies. And then the last one is just the the biggest, let's, let's get to the fireworks factory. Let's get this movie made. Do sure. it. But the first one is a film called Night Skies. Now, Night Skies has got a lot of legends around it. And even to the point, I got some of it wrong. But Night Skies is a film that came about. It was in development in the late 1970s. And it was an idea brought about by Steven, Spiel, uh, Steven Spielberg initially. Now, this was after Close Encounters of the Third Kind had come out. And I don't know how much you know about that movie. I'm sure you've seen it.
1: I've seen our parents love that movie. Yeah, I've yeah. seen it. I don't. I don't. I can't remember much of it.
0: It was very much Spielberg. I think was working through a divorce or something at the time because Richard Dreyfuss gets on the spaceship and leaves his family at the uh-huh. end of that movie. Yeah,
1: I, I know that.
0: But it was it was a big hit. And this is now we're on the, the heels of Star Wars and stuff like that. So this kind of more family friendly science fiction type movies are, are big hits. And they're like, they asked Spielberg if he could come up with a, a sequel to Close Encounters. He's like, I'm not going to do a sequel to Close Encounters, but I'll look at doing another alien movie. So he started to develop this idea. I think it was originally called, like, Don't Look to the Skies or something like that. And it was based off of a people can't see me doing the quotes with my fingers, <laughs> but it's based off of a true story. Okay. And people have heard about farm animals that have been mutilated, and they say it's yep. from aliens. That's where this story comes from. And okay. so he started to craft this idea of these group of aliens that are basically menacing this Kentucky farm family. During the course of the movie, there was going to be one of the aliens was a little bit more uh, of nice and bonds with this boy, in the in the movie itself. But it was a horror film. It was these it was these uh, aliens who were killing animals and terrorizing the family. And I think at the end, the good alien and the boy was going to you know, basically turn him off and stuff like that. So he yeah. had the script, everything made. They had signed up for the original space shuttle flight. They were going to have a camera specifically for this movie to film mm-hmm. the shuttle leaving earth's atmosphere and oh, that was wow. gonna be i mean they had all this stuff spielberg did not want to direct it he didn't want to be known as a horror director so he called up a uh, tobe hooper who did hex's chainsaw massacre yep. he had him he was gonna do it spielberg went to doing rages of the lost Dark, and they started to develop night skies they brought in rick baker who had done a lot of the effects for an american werewolf in london And Baker designed the look of the aliens. Now, Ty, before we started this, I sent you Rick Baker's design of the alien. Yeah. Describe it to me.
1: It looks exactly like a menacing E.T. Yes. It's got E.T.'s head and neck and face. But as you go down, it's like buff E.T. And E.T.'s face is definitely more menacing here, what I'm looking at right now, than than any. Again, E.T. I think is... Again, one of the greatest movies ever made. I love it so much. This E.T. looks scary almost.
0: Yes, but it's E.T. Yeah. It's angry uh-huh. E.T. hundred percent. also the way these aliens would basically destroy these cows and stuff like that is they had these long bony fingers. And when they went to explode them, the end of their fingers would glow.
1: Oh, so they're phoning home? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes.
0: Um, John Sayles came in to do a write on the script. That script doesn't exist. Nobody knows what happens, but they were really, they were heavy into development of this film. Spielberg was looking at it and he was, this is while he's doing Raiders and he's like, God, do I really want to do this? And a woman who was dating Harrison Ford at the time named Melissa Matheson, he, she was like, here, will you, or Spielberg said, will you look at this, uh, this script? And she looked at it and read it and she said, I don't think it's a great script. She's like, I don't think it's going to work, but I really like the relationship between the boy and the alien. I think that's really, really good. Now, (laughs) Melissa Matheson would go on to write the movie E.T.
1: One of the greatest movies
0: ever. (laughs) So they basically took Night Skies and took out all the horror. They took out all the gore and all that other stuff and made a movie about a lost alien and a young boy. Finding mm-hmm. each other and coming to terms. Yes, so, one of the best movies ever made. <laughs> yeah, and took Rick Baker's designs and put all these things together. Now, Spielberg was not done with Night Skies, so they made E. T, e. T. but then he also took the idea of outside forces terrorizing the family and made Poltergeist, which oh. Tobe Hooper directed. <laughs> so the movies terrifying, man. <laughs> yeah, he, a lot of the ideas from the script for Night Skies would go on to create movies like Gremlins. A bunch oh, of creatures okay. where one is good. The movie Signs, the uh, yeah. M. Night Shyamalan movie Signs, mm-hmm. very similar script. War of the Worlds, although that's based off of a real thing. Even to the point of uh, John Sayles ended up writing based, he says, based a lot of his ideas in Night Skies, writing the movie The Brother from
1: Another Planet. Never even heard of that.
0: Oh, yeah, that's a, uh, God, who is in that? It's a very like social. Uh, sure. It?
1: Yeah, I, I figure what John Sayles is doing. But, uh, now, but Joe I never... Morton.
0: Joe Morton is <coughs> okay. in it as the brother. So he played what's his name in Terminator 2, the guy yeah, that – yeah. he also played Cyborg's dad in Justice League and Zack Snyder's Justice League. But I don't know if you would have seen that.
1: <laughs> no, I'm not going to watch a four-hour-long movie.
0: So Night Skies, while it never got made, a lot of people argue it got made three or four times just in a okay. variety of different pieces.
1: I love that this idea, like you get this alien and you make and a person says, well, I don't like that movie, but I like this idea of the relationship between a boy and an alien. And You get again, I keep saying that one of the greatest movies that has ever been made.
0: Yes. All right. So let's talk about. At oh, the, also, no, oh I, I
1: wouldn't I wouldn't have seen this because I don't like watching. Again, I'm not a vegetarian, but I don't like watching animals get mutilated on screens. That's not a, a big selling point. for me. Have you seen E.T.? Yes,
0: I've seen ET. Have e. you it. seen Poltergeist?
1: Yes, I've oh, seen Okay,
0: that. you've seen Night Skies then. All right, perfect. <laughs> I, guess, I guess I have.
1: I've only seen Poltergeist once. I've yeah. seen ET too many times to count. Yeah. So.
0: All right, yeah. so let's talk about At the Mountains of Madness. Now, okay. do you know what that is when I say that? No idea. Okay, do you know who H.P. Lovecraft is?
1: Yes, I do know who H.P. Right. Lovecraft I've heard H.P. Lovecraft's name a lot.
0: Stephen, Sp- or not Stephen Spielberg, Stephen King says greatest horror writer ever. Okay. Lovecraft is a great horror writer. The Necronomicon, Cthulhu, the the Elder Ones, all, all these things, all these like horror tropes, this all comes from H.P. Lovecraft. He wrote mostly like little short stories, and these his stories were about not not just the horror or the gore, but the knowing of the horror and how it will drive you insane.
1: Is that what the Lovecraft Country shows about? Now
0: H.P. Lovecraft was a massive racist okay (laughs) Okay. just i mean he was like a gold medal in the racism war so there was a guy who wrote a uh, lovecraft country was a young african-american who loved lovecraft stories and have did you you ever watch lovecraft country i need to watch it great Great i'd love to watch it i know there's
1: a lot of problems with jonathan majors outside of acting so yeah yeah but
0: (laughs) no but that is a great show and it's it's all these lovecraft stories these very kind of uh they you'll call like a A just grotesque monster Lovecraftian. That's what people say. So this was a young African American kid that was like, How can I love this racist guy's work? But he took Lovecraft stories and put used it in the the how race evolved or what racism was in the sixties, seventies, and even today. Okay. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about Lovecraft's probably most famous story called At the Mountains of Madness.
1: Now I never heard of that.
0: Basically, this is a story. About the first expedition to Antarctica in 1930, and there's a group of scientists and some students who go and they find they need to get over these mountains in Antarctica because they're finding their dogs and some people, they're slowly getting killed. But when they find them getting killed, they'll see them like the bodies are mashed together with the dogs, like whoever killed them was trying to meld them with the dogs. And they're like, what the hell? Like the thing? Yeah, yeah. So they're like, what the hell's going on here? So when they get over the mountains, finally, they see a gigantic city. A gigantic ancient city. As they go through, there's things like hieroglyphics. They keep hearing these noises. Like one is like telekiki or something like that. And another is like Mm. cluck, cluck, cluck. They keep hearing these noises. And slowly, they're all kind of going insane with all of this stuff. And they learn in this, through the hieroglyphics and stuff, that Hundreds of thousands of years ago, there was this alien race. And they actually find one of these creatures. that have like a star-shaped type head, these weird Ooh. bodies, these wings. They're very nightmarish looking. They don't look like anything yeah. they've ever seen. Who came to Earth and built these great cities. And then they built these slaves called Shogas, which are these like almost formless black creatures So the shogus eventually overthrow what we call the Elder Ones, what they keep calling the Elder Ones. And as the Earth's plates shift to create, like, the modern continents, an unholy evil is unlocked underneath the Earth, which is Cthulhu. And at the end of the – so these guys are going insane. And they end up finding, like, these six-foot-tall penguins that are blind – wandering through the caves of the city, just all these what? weird like horror type things. And at the end, there's yeah. basically two guys left. Everybody's wiped out and they jump in the plane and they're taking off because one of these shogus, these just blobless like black things starts to chase them and they get in the plane and as they're flying away. The one guy's flying the plane. The other guy turns around to look and he goes insane because of what he sees. And he's basically what? the, the interpretation because he says he sees the final evil. The interpretation is he sees this massive Cthulhu, which is like a squid-like monster, coming out of the city. And so at the end of this story, these guys learn that there were things here on Earth well before us. They were monstrous. They basically were killing these group of uh, scientists and merging them with the animals just to see what would happen. They were experimenting on them. These creatures are these massive, horrible creatures are afraid of something even worse. And that thing is coming for us. Oh, my God. So, Ty, I sent (coughs) you. Sounds
1: intense, dude.
0: (laughs) So I sent you an article. And if you go down, there's a little clip that I want you to click on and watch.
1: Okay. What the (laughs) hell? Ugh. (laughs) That thing is horrifying looking. Mm Whoa. Whoa. Okay.
0: All right. (laughs) Um, All right. So explain what you just saw.
1: All right. So there's a gentleman in the freezing cold, the Arctic, as you mentioned. He's like packing up a box or something. And you hear a noise behind him and you see this thing that has talons and it just keeps spitting out more stuff from its body. It gets creepier and creepier. And as the gentleman realizes what's going on, he uh, goes to grab his shotgun. I think that's what he has there. And as he's grabbing that, this terrifying animal pulls him in and it like wraps him up in their talons or whatever and pulls the guy away and then the clip ends yeah it looks horrifying
0: so guillermo del toro off of blade a two great director yes blade, blade, two, wow. yeah so early in his career this is before hellboy before pan's labyrinth but he's early early in his career okay this is a a book he's always loved this is right up his alley just Weird kind of nightmare horror, unknowing scene things, the psychology of it all. He and another, his writing partner, created a script for it and started to shop it around. And it never, never went anywhere.
1: Oh, that's a bummer that didn't go anywhere.
0: He starts to become a bigger filmmaker. So in 2010, James Cameron came on and said he would produce it and Tom Cruise was going to star
1: in it. Whoa, man.
0: (laughs) That clip you see was test footage that Del Toro CGI that Del Toro made of one of the creatures.
1: I was going to ask, is that CGI? Because that looked computer, but also the person and the the monster looked real. Yes. Like, so so uh, James Cameron. Well, hold on. My (laughs) question, though, did Bird Box take this idea with their...
0: Oh, I don't know. I mean, when I say Lovecraftian horror, it is pretty... It is, I mean, I don't think they could take, they probably took it from at the Mountains of Madness, but okay. a lot of these tentacle-type monster things, this comes from H.P. Lovecraft stuff. When you okay. see right. that, that's where this comes from. Well, the from. whole
1: idea of Bird Box is you never really see the monster in it, but people have to have their, they have to be blind because if they see it, it makes them Insane. go crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Again, James Cameron, Tom Cruise, what the hell happened? How could it not get made?
1: That And it seems like it's just ripe for something to be made. It feels like... That's the thing with everything you've talked about today. It feels like all these movies could be made today and they'd be better than all the reboots and mm-hmm. the remakes and everything that we have going on. This is a movie that I would be horrified to see and it would make me think, but I would 100% go watch <laughs> this. I'm not a James Cameron or a Tom Cruise fan, but if they made this movie, I'm in the theater opening night.
0: Well, Del Toro is still directing it. It's still his script. Okay. And he's still directing it.
1: Well, again, Del Toro, Pan's Labyrinth is one of the best movies I've ever seen. What's that big robot movie he made? That's not Pacific very- Rim. Pacific Rim. I don't think that movie's very good, but I, I enjoyed love it. it. I enjoy <laughs> watching that movie. And he, Del Toro's got that creepy show on Netflix now, mm-hmm. and he made his version of Tokyo, I believe. So it's like, I will watch pretty much anything that man makes because he's a genius director. Well,
0: he and Universal, as they were getting ready to do production on the movie, like I said, they got as far as creating that test reel. They were getting ready mm-hmm. to do production. He dropped out, and in turn, Cruise and, uh, and C- uh, James Cameron dropped out because Universal said he could only make it if it'd be PG-13. And he said, this is not no. a PG-13 movie. <laughs> yeah, that's has got to be a hard <laughs> with that, man. You can't
1: make a movie like that PG-13. That's nuts.
0: But that's why it never got made, because Universal uh, wanted PG-13.
1: And he's like, no. That is no. so frustrating.
0: In December of 2021, Del Toro... Signed a deal with Netflix to make the show you're talking about yeah. and a couple of other things. And one of the projects that is listed in pre production for his Netflix deal is At the Mountains of Madness. Okay. Now he did stop motion with his latest Pinocchio movie, outstanding mm-hmm. film. It won him his second Oscar. So mm-hmm. he's talked about doing Mountains of Madness stop motion also. They've okay. looked at a couple of other things. They looked at doing it as a series. Now, at the Mountains of Madness is a novella. It's like 200 pages or something like that. Yeah, uh, sure. He, he said the only thing he doesn't know if Tom Cruise will be in it because just of age, but he would still yeah. be willing to talk to him about it. There was in uh, 2012. He was looking. He kind of shelved it because Ridley Scott's Prometheus had a lot of the same ideas. A I don't lot like of these.
1: Prometheus. Yeah, it's one of the few Ridley Scott movies I don't like.
0: The only other thing that people have said, and I I've, I kind of agree with this in some ways. I know this book very well. I've got right here the graphic novel of it, oh, yeah. and give you the idea of what these people. Am I
1: going to go nuts if I see this thing?
0: <laughs> well, that's that's what's great. Like, there's the giant penguin.
1: Oh wow, um, that's wild. That's
0: what somebody said. Imagine Tom Cruise hanging out with giant penguins.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't. Again, I'm not a huge Tom Cruise guy. He'd probably act the hell out of
0: it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, here's. There is like the the weird alien creatures.
1: Oh, yep, yep.
0: The movie's not gone. Del Toro obviously wants to make this movie. And sure. In what version? But have you ever seen John Carter?
1: No, I have not. John so, Carter from Mars or yeah, whatever, the one yeah. with uh, Taylor Kitsch, I believe yeah. is his name. Yeah. Yeah. No, nah, I know of it, but I've never seen
0: it. Here's the thing. John Carter, it's an old, the guy that wrote Tarzan wrote it, but it's an old story. But it is the story that inspired Star Wars. It's a very mm-hmm. Star Wars like story. And so when it came out, and I think John Carter is a pretty good movie. The lead actor is, yeah, but it's not um, a
1: very good actor. No,
0: but the movie looks really good, all this other stuff. But it was everybody's like, oh, it's too derivative of Star mm-hmm. Wars. It's like, no, Star Wars is derivative of it. But, <laughs> but Star Wars is the bigger thing now to us. John sure. Carter's a hundred year old book that it just wasn't going to work out. Some people say, say the same thing for At the Mountains of Madness. People are like, oh, it's the thing. But, no, The Thing is at the Mountains of Madness. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> that
1: came before.
0: Right, right. And so I think you need somebody like a del Toro to direct it, to give it his own uniqueness so people are not like, it's The Thing or it's this or Aliens Under Antarctica or all this other stuff. But. Yeah. He is hell-bent on making
1: it. I'd see it, too. I, I would definitely go see yeah. this movie.
0: and people are still, they still talk about it. If you go look at, a, like, Google a list of the greatest movies never made, this is on the top of the, a
1: lot of those lists. And it needs to get done. This is one that needs to get made. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's it's just wild it hasn't been made
1: yet. Absolutely. Right for somebody making it, especially somebody good like Del Toro. And
0: it, it just goes to show, not to continue to bash on the movie studios, but... uh I mean, yes, there are some passion projects that don't work. Mm-hmm. But Guillermo del Toro has made you guys a lot of money. Yeah. He's a <laughs> genius. <laughs> <And> this, <laughs> Come on. This is the movie. He won an Oscar for making a movie about a fish man who a lady is all mm-hmm. into. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know not everybody <laughs> loves that movie. I think it's a very good movie. I, I've uh, never seen it.
1: Pan's Labyrinth is a movie. Oh,
0: yeah. Piece. Yeah. Yeah. The Hellboy movies are.
1: Those are great. <laughs> yeah.
0: Blade two is widely considered the only good Marvel movie before. Well, I before guess X-Men Two,
1: but yeah. 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 Uh, well, X-Men is, I know it's technically Marvel, but they're uh, whatever. Yeah. So, del Toro deserves a shot to make this <laughs> if he wants to.
0: Right. But it just shows at the end of the day, James Cameron, Tom Cruise, Guillermo del Toro, and they still couldn't get it done because
1: they, uh, <laughs> Universal wanted to be <laughs> PG 13. That is nuts to me. Yeah.
0: <sighs> Yeah. All right, Ty. Well, if you need to be one of the guys masked with a dog as a lay down scene in uh, Del Toro's Mountains of Madness, where are they (laughs) going to
1: find you? Uh, You can find me on Facebook and Instagram, Ty Kulik, T-Y-K-U-L-I-K, all lowercase. More importantly, come read my stuff at Seedsing, S-E-E-D-S-I-N-G dot com. I do pop culture, sports writing there. A piece going up later today about the genius of Beck's truck driving neighbor downstairs. Check that out. Seedsing, S-E-E-D-S-I-N-G dot com. You can hear me and just for your own good, go listen to Chucklehead Chat hosted by our buddy Glenn Adams. You get that wherever you find podcasts. But most importantly, you can hear me on this podcast, the Ex-Millennial Man podcast. Rate, review us, tell your friends about us. Check out our Patreon, check out First Watch, Rewatch, and as always, Black Lives
0: Matter. Yeah, repeat all that we have with uh a First Watch Rewatch is at the 1st and 15th of every month. We'll have kind of a special nightmare November 1st episode to close Uh. off the Halloween season (laughs) because some of the things you're going to see, Ty, you're going to be very upset with me. I'm kind of nervous. (laughs) (laughs) With all that being said, I can't think of anything else here. We thank you for your ears. Anything else that you may use to listen to the Ex-Millennial Man podcast? Remember, we are here every Saturday for free wherever you find your fine podcasts and shows. And uh, with all that, enjoy – Gosh, I know here it's kind of the last blast of any warm weather we're gonna have, cause it's gonna be like 40 next week.
1: Yep, it's gonna be 44 on Halloween, so I'm gonna enjoy it. Stay fresh, cheese bags. <laughs>
0: The X millennial Man Podcast is a production of Seedsing.com, fully owned by R.D. Kulik & Associates, LLC. Producers Ty Kulik and Ryan Kulik, adequately engineered by Ryan Kulik.